0: So what are the Bible reasons for Christians supporting Israel? We stand with Israel because Israel is not a political issue, it's a Bible issue. Don't you ever forget that. Israel is the only nation on earth created by a sovereign act of God. The borders of Israel are recorded in scripture. Did you know that? And that little piece of real estate they have at the end of the Mediterranean is a fraction of what God intends for them to have. And when the King of Glory comes back, they're going to get every blessed square inch of it.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 3 of this Zionology series, where I'll be looking at Christian Zionism. Buckle up, it's going to be a wild ride. Zionism is no doubt perceived as principally a Jewish movement, with Christians playing a supporting role, albeit a numerically superior one. Historically, however, the opposite is true. I'll explore Jewish Zionism next time, but essentially it's a movement that only gathers pace in the 19th century. By that time, Christians had been on the case for hundreds of years. Just one caveat. The term Zionism wasn't used prior to the late 19th century. Before that, Christians advocating a return of the Jews to Palestine were called Restorationists. For the sake of simplicity, I shall refer to them as Zionists throughout this episode. The idea that the Jewish people should or would, be restored to their homeland is not present in Christianity for the first 1,500 years. Both the Catholic and Orthodox churches saw the church itself as being a spiritual Israel, and that Jesus Christ had extended God's covenant with the Jews to all people. This is called supersessionism, or replacement theology, where no special privileges are accorded to ancestral descent. This changed after the Reformation, when the Bible was translated and people started interpreting it in all sorts of idiosyncratic ways. Beginning in the 16th century, there was a growing view that Jews would return to Palestine and play some essential role in the end times. Publications like the Geneva Bible and Thomas Brightman's Shall They Return to Jerusalem Again? popularised this position. It often included a mass Jewish conversion to Christianity. The belief has its root in the book of Genesis where God promises the land to Abraham. For Christians, the debate is as to whether this covenant is still in force, or, like the Mosaic law, superseded by the coming of Christ. The opening clip you heard was of modern Zionist pastor John Hagee, who goes on to explain,
0: Why do Christians support Israel? Because God Almighty in- entered an eternal blood covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, that the land of Israel would be theirs forever. It begins in Genesis 17, but in some fashion or some way, that covenant is mentioned 22 times in scripture. Forever. Say that with me. Forever. Therefore it is not Russia's option. It is not England's option. It is not the United Nations option. It is not the Palestinian option.
1: That land belongs to the Jewish people today, tomorrow and forever. During the 1650s Commonwealth of England, the post-Civil War period when Oliver Cromwell ruled, Jews were admitted into the country for the first time in 400 years. Various Puritans around Cromwell saw Jewish reentry as a stepping stone to an eventual return to Palestine. A petition advocating for their readmission read quote, that this nation of England, with the inhabitants of the Netherlands, shall be the first and the readiest to transport Israel's sons and daughters on their ships to the land promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for an everlasting inheritance. End quote. The belief fueling these Christians was that by assisting the return of the Jews. They were helping to bring about the events described in the book of Revelation. Jesus would come back, bind the devil, and initiate a thousand-year period of heaven on earth. A laudable goal. English Puritans, out of favour with the monarchy, set sail for the New World, and took their eschatological views with them. These weren't fringe positions. We see, for example, the publication of The Mystery of Israel's Salvation in 1669 by no less a figure than Harvard president Increase Mather. Back in England, Isaac Newton got in on the act, predicting that the Jews would return to Palestine and rebuild the temple, all in time for the world to end no later than 2060, 37 years to go yet. Running alongside this religious impulse were more worldly reasons for favouring a Jewish presence. Napoleon Bonaparte pragmatically attempted to recruit Asian and African Jews to his campaign in Egypt and Syria by promising to restore Jerusalem. In the 1840s, Faced with the potential disintegration of the Ottoman Empire, the British saw geostrategic value in having a Jewish ally in the Middle East. Colonel Charles Henry Churchill, a British consul in Ottoman Syria, submitted a proposal to the President of the Board of Deputies of British Jews outlining a plan for the establishment of a state. In a sense, this plan was enacted 75 years later with the Balfour Declaration. Zionism was also proposed as a way of dealing with the Jewish refugee crisis emanating from anti-Semitic Russia. This was recognised as a humanitarian crisis, but there was not the public or political will to rehome two million Russian Jews across Europe and the United States. At a time when multiculturalism wasn't a thing, a homeland of their own seemed like the best option. Towards the end of the 19th century, and as a result of the viciousness of the Russian pogroms, a Jewish Zionist movement emerged that allied with the Christian one. In 1878, American businessman-turned-preacher William Eugene Blackstone published the Zionist book Jesus is Coming, which sold over a million copies. In addition to his humanitarian reasons, Blackstone sought the restoration of the Jews to the Holy Land as a prelude to their Christian conversion, which he thought would hasten the return of Jesus. To this end, Blackstone lobbied President Benjamin Harrison presenting him with a petition signed by 413 prominent Americans, including several senators and congressmen, as well as tycoons such as John Rockefeller and J.P. Morgan. I'm actually not sure if the signatory's motives were purely religious and humanitarian, or if there were financial and geostrategic considerations too. Recent historical events made this goal seem realistic. In 1878, Bulgaria, Serbia and Montenegro joined Greece in achieving independence from the Ottoman Empire. The logic ran that as these countries had been returned to their people, why shouldn't Palestine now be returned to the Jews? Blackstone saw this as legitimate, not only on religious grounds, but because the Jews had never abandoned their land. Rather, they had been forced off it by the Romans. As we saw in the last episode, modern-day Zionists actually reject the Roman expulsion myth in favour of an Arab one. A renewed. Blackstone Memorial, as it was called, was issued to President Woodrow Wilson. It is said to have influenced his decision to support Zionism and the British Balfour Declaration. A further major development in American Zionism was the publication of the Schofield Reference Bible in 1909. Cyrus Ingersoll Schofield was a colourful character. After deserting from the Confederate Army during the U.S. Civil War, he trained as a lawyer and was elected to the Kansas House of Representatives. He was forced to resign under a cloud of scandal, due to accepting bribes, stealing campaign contributions, and committing fraud. He then abandoned his wife and two children. Six years later, however, Schofield found religion and became an evangelical Christian. He was ordained as a minister, taking on a small church and growing it to over 500 members. I assume that would make it a megachurch for its day. Schofield presented himself as being a Doctor of Divinity, yet there is no record of any academic institution granting him this title. In spite of this, he somehow managed to have his notes included in Oxford University Press's 1909 publication of the King James Bible. These notes were right alongside the text, and it was the first Bible published this way in over 400 years. To cut the long theology short, the Schofield Bible is a pro-Zionist Bible. It promotes a literal interpretation of the Book of Revelations, and the doctrine of the rapture. Unknown to all Christians prior to the 1830s, this doctrine has it that at the end of time, true believers will fly off into the clouds to meet Jesus. Schofield also promotes a kind of Jewish prosperity gospel, where God rewards and punishes people, depending on their behaviour, specifically towards the Jews. You can hear the modern version of this coming from John Hagee.
0: Why do Christians stand with Israel? Because God blesses the Gentiles who bless the Jewish people. The blessing of divine healing came to the centurion, the Roman centurion in Luke seven, one through five, why? The centurion obviously was a Gentile. He built a synagogue for the Jewish people. He had a servant who was dying that he dearly loved. He wanted this healing rabbi coming down the road to pray for this sick servant. But he knew Jesus was an observant Jew and could not come into his house because his house as a a non-observant person was unclean. So the centurion sent the Jewish elders out to intercept Jesus. And this is the argument they gave, the logic they gave. You should pray for this man's sick servant because he has built us a synagogue, point. A Gentile has done something to bless us and therefore you should break the law of Moses, go into that house, pray the prayer, let that man have a miracle because he's done something to bless us. Message, when Gentiles start doing practical things to bless the Jewish people, God goes way out of his way to answer your prayer and to bring special blessings to you. Can I hear an amen to that?
1: I personally find this a rather dehumanizing teaching, in that it essentially turns Jewish people into lucky charms that you might rub on the head for good fortune. Needless to say, it's not being suggested that doing anything nice for an individual Jew will win God's favor. Rather, you must support the state of Israel. Due to Schofield essentially being a con man who constantly fell on his feet, there is a theory that he was a catspaw for Jewish Zionist interests, specifically the lawyer Samuel Untermyer, famous for donating the land for New York's Untermeyer Park. Untermeyer is no doubt an interesting character in a lot of ways, and whilst it may well be true, it also seems to me like Christian Zionism has needed very little outside encouragement. The Schofield Bible has been a major influence on Christian Zionists' thought in the United States. It has inspired end-times literature such as Hal Lindsay's The Late Great Planet Earth and Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series. I appreciate if you're not in that world, this might not mean much to you, but these fictional portrayals were consumed by tens of millions of Americans, informing how they think the world is going to end in the near future. Christian Zionism also contains a humanitarian streak, which supported the creation of Israel in the wake of the Holocaust. The massive and continuing support from end-of-times revelations Christians, however, is anything but humanitarian. This form of Zionism has attracted such esteemed evangelical figures as Billy Graham, Pat Robertson, and Jerry Fowell, who is quoted as saying, To stand against Israel is to stand against God. We believe that history and scripture prove that God deals of nations in relation to how they deal with Israel. End quote. Given that Israel didn't exist for most of our recorded history, it's hard to think what data Mr. Farrell is basing this on. To illustrate Christian Zionism's impact on the modern world, I'm going to play some clips from my personal favourite Zionist, John Hagee. A man who
0: couldn't possibly get to be president became president. Donald J. Trump. I mean, when he first started, people thought he's doing this to advertise his hotels wow. and his products. And then... He, it caught on, and the American people put this man in office, and he made promises that he was going to recognize Jerusalem, that he would move the embassy. He would break out of the Iran deal. Those three things by themselves, plus the making of the Golan Heights, the sovereign property of Israel, Uh, sent a message to the world that America and Israel are connected together with an inseparable bond and that an attack on Israel would be an attack on the United States of America. That has not existed in my lifetime. Now it exists because Iran, Hamas, Hezbollah, Russia and other nations who are hostile toward Israel. No, they don't want to take on Israel in a military term because the United States of America is standing uh, beside them and Donald J. Trump is the person that made that happen. I believe in the core of my being that God put this man in office at this time because he has the courage of his convictions. Yeah. No one encouraged him to recognize Jerusalem. They said, if you recognize Jerusalem, it's going to start a war. It did not. If you move the embassy, it's going to start uh, a military uh, battle that will end in the Third World War. It didn't even create a street protest. He has followed his convictions. And the history of the world has been changed, but you, people need to also recognize that when he crushed the Iran nuclear deal, Iran was on the verge of putting together a nuclear facility, a nuclear a nuclear weapon, and Iran was talking about Israel being a one bomb nation. Wow! They were saying we will do in six month uh, six minutes what it took Hitler six years to do in the Holocaust. And when the President of the United States came in and he started uh, literally restricting their economy, their economy now is being crushed. They're not thinking about building bombs. They're trying to find money to buy bread and butter. Mm. And that's a tribute to the president of the united states who's taken the number 1 terrorist nation in the world and brought them economically to their knees they cannot attack israel because they don't have they don't have the funding to even get close to accomplishing the
1: nuclear
0: nightmare that they had planned
1: when donald trump ended the iran nuclear deal the islamic republic was not on the verge of putting together a nuclear weapon. Hagee's One Bomb Nation is most likely a reference to a 2001 statement by former President Ali Akbar Rafsanjani. He said, quote, In due time, the Islamic world will have a military nuclear device, and then the strategy of the West would reach a dead end, since one bomb is enough to destroy all Israel. End quote. Whilst the Iranian regime is certainly given to bellicose statements, making the work of propagandists easy, This is clearly a reference to pushing back against aggressive Western policies, not a call for a preemptive strike in which Iran would be obliterated by Israel's hundreds of undeclared nukes. The relevance of the timescale here is that Iran abandoned its small-scale nuclear weapons research program in 2003. The nuclear deal that Trump tore up monitored uranium enrichment for nuclear power plants. This is all exhaustively documented in Gareth Porter's book, Manufactured Crisis. The quote about doing in six minutes what Hitler did in six years would be strange coming from a regime that often flirts with Holocaust denial. As far as I can tell, Hagee has just made this up. What's going on here is a selling of the Zionist project to evangelical Christians. Iran is presented as a demonic nation, a nation that cannot be negotiated with, which for purely anti-Semitic reasons is hell-bent on wiping out Israel. The audience can be relied upon not to fact-check any of this ultimately because it's what they want to hear. It should be noted that this sales pitch is not limited to Zionism. Evangelical preachers can be relied upon to sell Washington's wider imperial project, supporting every war and calling for the overthrow of left-wing regimes. Jesus, it seems, would be pro the national security establishment. Hagee sells the idea that an attack on Israel constitutes an attack on the United States of America. Of course it doesn't, but he is conditioning his audience to accept their tax dollars being sent to support the Zionist project, and ultimately for their sons to die in wars in the Middle East. Hagee is also providing Israel with a blank check, to act as belligerently as it likes with its neighbours, secure in the knowledge Big Brother America will come running. I'm sure there are historical examples of blank check diplomacy not ending well. Pastor Hagee also displays a sadistic streak when he says of Iranians, They're not thinking about building
0: bombs. They're trying to find money to buy bread and butter.
1: This is selling a sense of sadism. A communication to a Christian audience that starving a civilian population is actually something to rejoice in. Let's look at the impact this has in politics.
0: Then in 2006, I called 400 of America's uh, leading uh, pastors and radio television people and... University Christian university presidents together and asked them if they would be willing to join in Christians United for Israel. And what we would do, we would be a national grassroots organization that would go to Washington and impact national policy on behalf of Israel and the Jewish people. That if uh, a senator or a congressman should become crossways with Israel over an issue that was of concern to us, like the city of Jerusalem, that we would fill his office with emails and we now have our people organized by region, by state, by city, by voting district. If a senator would do something that's contrary to the well-being of Israel, we can put 30,000 emails in his office in a 24-hour period. Mm. That's very impressive to Mm -hmm. a senator who's running for Mm re-election. And therefore, we have become a voice for Israel that never existed.
1: Hagee's own organization, Christians United for Israel, boasts over 10 million members. He has claimed there are 50 million Zionist Christians in America. If that's an exaggeration, it's not much of one. This figure dwarfs not only the number of Jewish Zionists, but the total number of Jews in the world. You could argue that Zionism has always been primarily a Christian cult. With many voters convinced that Israel can do no wrong, and that God himself will reward them for supporting it, there's simply no possibility of a sensible peace settlement in the Middle East. How do Zionist Christians think this will all play out? The death
0: certificate for Russia and Iran is recorded in Ezekiel 38-39. It's called the Gog-Magog War. It's the first war in the Gog-Magog War series. Russia is going to come out of the four north in Ezekiel 38, 15, and 16, 15 through 18. Right after the four blood moons, I said, there will be a move in the Middle East that will change history forever. Ten days after that fine blood moon, Russia moved into the Middle East, and they're there to this day. And Ezekiel says, many nations are going to follow you. This has already started. Ezekiel writes, you Russia will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days. When is that? That's when Israel has become a nation and that's when Jerusalem is rejoined to the nation. That means right now, we're living in the latter days. Listen. I'm going to put a hook in your jaw. I'm quoting the Bible and I'm gonna drag you into Israel for your day of judgment. That's God speaking to Russia and to Iran, Jew-hating nations, because God is going to exterminate every Jew-hating nation on the face of the earth. God is not going to allow his people to be persecuted anymore. Iran is going to invade Israel, and when they do, God has said, I am going to do exactly this. You're going to come with nine different armies. It's going to be a multitude to cover the land. It's going to be a land invasion of such magnitude that the nations of the world will believe that Israel is is no longer going to be able to stand. And so God brings them, drags them, come here because I am going to kick your behinds up over your head. Hello, Russia. Hello, Iran. Your graveyard is in Israel. Israel is God's battle ax. He's going to crush you because you insulted his dignity by invading the land of Israel. I know you're atheist and don't believe in God, but you're gonna meet him and he is an awesome God. He's going to crush you. What is the future of China? Listen closely. Marching army of 200 million men three years later will come down to Euphrates River onto the Holy Land. The Antichrist will be coming with what we call the new world order. And they are going to fight for global su- supremacy in the, in the mother of all battles, the battle of Armageddon. And as they line up there and all get, get a picture of that, For 180 miles, there's nothing but men getting ready to kill each other. And as they began that war, suddenly there's another invasion. It's not from the north, the south, the east, or the west, but it's from heaven. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, King Jesus, is coming back to earth, followed by the angels which are in heaven and the bride of Christ, which will be every person of you here and every one of you watching there. Jesus of Nazareth is going to sweep over that battlefield and he's going to annihilate every one of the enemies of Israel. He is going to be Magnified by his destruction of those godless nations that have never given the Jewish people peace. The blood is going to flow to the bridle of a horse for 180 miles. That's out of the Bible. God is going to do a great work. He is not going to see the Jewish people persecuted another day. They are going to be liberated by the power of God himself.
1: I would suggest this grown man acting out a power fantasy is best explained by a psychologist. The sadism, the delight in human suffering, once again shines through. More disturbing are the cheers from his congregation at the thought of millions of Russians and Iranians, who are apparently atheists, being slaughtered in a war against God. Christian Zionism abrogates the universalism associated with the teachings of Jesus, and returns Jehovah to being the warring tribal god of the Jews, it is now acceptable to rejoice in the crushing of one's enemies once more. Of course, on October the seventh, neither Jesus nor John Hagee descended from the heavens to save innocent Jewish people from the Hamas incursion. If Zionist intransigence does drag the region into an all out war, I would suggest fairy tales will prove of little defensive value there too. The loss of Jewish lives, now, and in any future conflict, is absolutely the fault of Zionists like Hagee, who egg on this intransigence from the safety of their million-dollar mansions in the United States. I don't specify Jewish lives because they are the only ones that matter, but because they are the only ones such Zionists ever profess to care about. None of this should be a surprise. As scratch the surface, and the same sadism directed at other peoples, is also ready and available for disobedient Jews.
0: Now how is God going to bring them back to the land? The answer is fishers and hunters. The answer is given in Jeremiah 16, verse 15 and following. God says in Jeremiah 16, Behold, I will bring them, the Jewish people, again into the land that I gave unto their fathers. That would be Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Behold, I will send for many fishers, and after will I send for many hunters. And they, the hunters, shall hunt them, that will be the Jews, from every mountain and from every hill and from out of the holes of the rocks. If that doesn't describe what Hitler did in the Holocaust, you can't see that. So think about this. I will send fishers and I will send hunters. A fisher is someone who entices you with a bait. How many of you know who Theodore Herzl was? How many of you don't have a clue who he was? Woo! Sweet God. Theodore Herzl is the father of Zionism. He was a Jew that at the turn of the 19th century said, This land is our land. God wants us to live there. So he went to the Jews of Europe and said, I want you to come and join me in the land of Israel. So few went. Herzl went into depression. Those who came founded Israel. Those who did not went through the hell of the Holocaust. Then God sent a hunter. A hunter is someone who comes with a gun, and he forces you. Hitler was a hunter. And the Bible says, Jeremiah writing, they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill out of the holes of the rocks. Meaning there's no place to hide. And that will be offensive to some people. Well, dear heart, be offended. I didn't write it. Jeremiah wrote it. It was the truth and it is the truth. How did it happen? Because God allowed it to happen. Why did it happen? Because God says my top priority for the Jewish people is to get them to come back to the land of Israel.
1: So there we have it. A man who believes Adolf Hitler was doing God's work, is endorsed by the American-Israeli Action Committee, invited to speak at the Israeli embassy, and maintains a personal friendship with Benjamin Netanyahu. I think this tells you everything you need to know. Thank you for listening. In addition to the show notes and my usual details, I've placed a link in the info box to Christian Aid's Gaza Crisis Appeal. Next time I'll look at the evolution of Jewish Zionism and start to move towards the foundation of the state of Israel.